following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, well this morning we are going to turn our attention to the book of Colossians chapter 3. And you'll see the, the text is 5 to 17 in chapter 3 today. I want to just kind of review briefly from last week. We talked very briefly about a, a movie called The Sixth Sense about how um, a doctor was talking to a young boy and the young boy said he saw dead people. And they didn't know they were dead. And they were just walking around like regular people but he said they only saw what they wanted to see. And I, I tried to tie that together with this contrast of dead to sin, alive in Christ. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. And, and how difficult that is for us to kind of grab hold of that. So today, as we follow up on that, I want to think about what the Bible tells us in this passage today with the backdrop of remembering what Paul himself would say to the churches in Galatia when he said, Galatians 2.20, remember, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. That mindset, you'll, see, you'll start to see a lot of common messages as Paul is writing and inspired to write these things to the churches. But today, in this portion of Colossians, uh, let me just go ahead and say this before I read it. This, this, is, this is tough. This is tough. And... I suspect you'll understand why I say that here in just a moment. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. God spoke and Paul writes, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the One who created Him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Lord, I pray today, help us. Help us to understand this Word and then do what it says. And you know how challenging that will be for us. So I pray, help us. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage right here, you know, coming out of the first two chapters of Colossians and all that's been said so far, Paul spent a lot of time just hammering home this principle that Jesus is God in the flesh. He created all things. All things are for Him and by Him. If you read, go back to chapter 1 and read verse 15 to verse 23, just this unbelievable description of who Jesus is. And now we're starting to see some implications from that. We're starting to see, okay, if Jesus is who He says He is and He's done what we believe He's done, doesn't that matter? Doesn't that make a difference? Shouldn't it make a difference in our lives? And so the reason why I prefaced this message, this reading and everything with my description that this is... This is tough. You'll see as we go through. But I just have a lot of personal reflection that was caused by this particular passage and it's not all pleasant. And I don't wish that on you, but I kind of wish that on you. Does that make sense? I don't want you to have unpleasant times, but we need to be honest and objective with ourselves if we want true spiritual growth, we need to be honest with ourselves before God. And that's what this text helps us do. There's two main paragraphs and two main points for today. And uh, they break down pretty clearly. But the first one is put off the sins of the past. Very simply. And it's easy to say, hard to do. Put off the sins of the past. From verse 5 down to verse 11, Paul just outlines some things that are, are things that have no place in the life of a believer. And he starts the paragraph with the word, therefore. So this is referring back to those first four verses. 
And, and I want to key in on this before we break down verses 5 to 11. Look at verse 3. Well, really, verses 2 and 3. We're supposed to set our mind on things above, not on the things on the, on the earth, because we've died and our life is hidden with Christ. So that's kind of the foundation for what Paul's saying here. If we've died and our life is truly hidden with Christ, then we need to get rid of some things. He says, consider the members of your earthly body dead. Dead to what? So there are certain things in our sinful nature that need to be killed off. And, and look at the things he, he lists here. Immorality, impurity. So we're talking about uh, immoral sin or unclean thoughts, uncontrolled desire. Uh, evil desire, he says, is, is kind of similar to passion, but it's more general. Then the last one, greed. The, this desire to always have more. And, and here's what's behind that. It's almost like an, it's an arrogant assumption that everything exists for us. We need more of everything. And idolatry means we put something else in the place of God. And, and so idols are not just, well, let's, you know, you, you go to uh, different countries and you see little carved images and, and little things that they worship. And those are idols, for sure, but that's not all there is. Idols can take all kinds of different shapes. And, and sometimes, I heard a, a preacher say years ago, you could take a good thing, make it a God thing, then it becomes a bad thing. Anything that comes before God in our lives, in our order of priorities, or our order of importance... Be careful, because that could become an idol. And one thing I should note about this first section here is there is the way this the way this uh, language is written. It says, "Consider your earthly body dead to these things." There's a sense of urgency. The way it's written, I won't go into all the Greek. What, you know, grammar and everything, all that stuff. But let me just tell you, there's a sense of urgency with this word. It's a command that was given for a specific occasion and it needs some decisive action and there is a time element to it, a sense of urgency. So let me, let me describe it this way. Imagine a scenario where you are in some sort of danger and time is of the essence. So, so, and so you don't have time to sit here and lay out a plan and figure out what you're going to do. You've got to act. Okay, the two things that came to my mind. Uh, like say you're uh, in, a, in a car and your car stalls out on the railroad tracks. And you roll down the windows and you hear the train whistle off in the distance. So time is of the essence. You have to do something right away. You don't have time. Well, let's see. I wonder what, what we could do to get there. No, you've got to go. you either got to get out of the car, get it pushed off, or just get out of the car. And sacrifice the car, you know, what, for your own safety. Time is of the essence. Or what about uh, in a building filled with people and someone discovers some sort of an um, explosive device and it's got a timer on it and it's counting down. You don't have time to mess around. You don't have time to, to think about this elaborate plan. You have to go. You have to get people out. 
if you don't have someone uh, there who can try to diffuse the thing or do away with it, you know, then that's irrelevant. You have to go. You have to be urgent. You can't just sit around and twiddle your thumbs and wonder what you're going to do. Well, guess what? I believe more so after reading this passage. Sin is a life or death situation. And I don't think we realize the urgency attached to dealing with sin. I don't, I don't think we see it as this really urgent problem that has to be dealt with in a hurry. I think, and this is just like I said, this is just my perspective, but I, I really do believe that far too many of us, myself included, have thought, well, I'll deal with that later. I'll, I'll deal with that later. I don't, I, don't have to, I don't have time to mess with that right now. I've got other things going on. And then we, if, if you put it off, and then it just gets set aside, and maybe, maybe it doesn't get dealt with at all. But there's urgency. And, and why is it so important? Verse 6, it's because of these things God's wrath is coming. Because God punishes sin. He punishes sin in the present as well as on the day of judgment. It's coming upon the sons of disobedience. Those who continue to disobey Him. Maybe those who have not accepted Christ. And then Paul makes this really important statement, verse 7, in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Past tense. Uh, you've been saved. That's not you anymore. If, if you've been united with Christ, that's not you anymore. You don't need to be messing with those things. You once walked previous sinful state before Christ. You were living the course and the habit of the believer's past existence. But then look at verse 8. But now. See the contrast? You used to do that, but now you also need to put aside all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Verse 9, stop lying. See, all these commands. Consider these things dead. Put these things aside. Stop lying. It's like putting away dirty clothes. Like after I go to the gym... Nobody really wants to be around me after I go to the gym. I need, I need to clean up. I need to change my clothes. And then I'll be presentable. Well, guess what? Sin makes us stink to God. It's a foul smell in the presence of the Lord. And we need to get cleaned up, change clothes. Don't lie since you laid aside the old self. Verse 10, you put on the new self. You've changed clothes. The new self is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the One who created Him. A renewal where there's no distinction. There's no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man. And so what, what's happening here is 
we have put on the new self. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.17? If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. New things have come. Being renewed just in the last chapter. Chapter 2, verse 3. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so, this new self is being renewed according to that knowledge. The true knowledge the image of the One who created Him. There's no distinction. There's no uh, barriers. There's no partiality in Christ. There's no national privilege. There's no ceremonial standing. There's no cultural barrier. There's no social class difference. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. When it comes to our salvation, there is no partiality. Jesus is Lord of all. He is all and He is in all, as verse 11 says. Let me describe it this way before we get to this last point. I like, as you can probably tell, I like to use movie illustrations. I connect with that. We talked about the sixth sense. In 1994, there was another movie. Um, called Shawshank Redemption. Morgan Freeman. And uh, the lead character there, um, his name was Andy Dufresne. He was wrongfully imprisoned and treated poorly, but uh, he, he was not guilty, truly not guilty, but he was in the prison. And over ten years, he devised this elaborate escape plan he kind of got in good with the warden because he had some financial skill. You know, he used to be a banker, and so he kind of got in with the warden, got some privileges, and got access to some things. Well, anyway, the main thrust of his plan involved him breaking into a pretty substantial uh, sewer main inside the prison, and he had to crawl through a thousand feet of sewer main. And he had planned all kind of different things. He had some people on the outside help him. And the storm came one night and he broke into that sewer main and he got in there and it was just whatever, however bad you can imagine, that's what it was. And the movie shows he's crawling out and he gets all the way to the end where it lets out into this this little retention pond and he drops out in the rain and he's just he can't believe he's finally on the other side of the fence and he's free. Well, he's got this trash bag tied up full of clothes. He goes and first thing he does, he goes and showers a lot. He uh he shaves, he gets a haircut. And he puts on this nice suit that he had uh, borrowed from the warden when he took his dry cleaning. And so here he is on the outside of the jail. He has just crawled through over a thousand feet of sewer main. And now he's showered, he's clean, he's clean shaven, he's clean cut, he's got a suit on, and he strolls into the First National Bank in town and withdraws all this money. Nobody even bats an eye because he looks so put together. 
Can you imagine the before and after pictures of when he first came out of the sewer main and he's standing there all clean shaven in a nice suit? The, the drastic difference in appearance. So here's the question. Has there been a transformation in our lives of that magnitude because of Jesus. When somebody looks at me that has known me, I mean really known me, back when, they think of me then and think of me now. Has there been a drastic transformation See, when, this is part of what I was talking about. This is a tough passage. Because when I reflect on my own life in the context of this passage, and I try to think, okay, how much change has happened to me? Have I, how, how differently am I thinking and acting and speaking and treating people and and here, please listen to what I'm about to say. The sad reality is if I'm honest, I know deep in my heart I'm not changed enough. Because nobody in this room knows me like I know me. And, and I don't know me like God knows me. And so, we can, we can think what we want of ourselves or others, but if we're alone with our thoughts and we're honest, I'm afraid I'm not the only one who would say, I'm not different enough. Because of Jesus, I'm not different enough. It's, nothing, it's not like Jesus has let me down. It's just the opposite. It, it's times when I react wrong, or I say something wrong, or I uh, think something wrong, or I, I, I don't do the things I should do or I do the things I shouldn't do. All these different things. All it is is just a reminder of how far I still have to go and that I have not fully uh, immersed myself in Scripture, in the love of Christ, in the life of Christ. There's so much more that needs to be done. If I'm honest. Now look, I can walk in here and I can put on a show and I can act like I got my act together. But anybody who's thinking would have to say, now that can't be true. Because if you're, if you're honest with yourself and you're logical, this is why, this is why I always say Sunday morning... Did you see in verse 9, stop lying? 
Y'all, every Sunday we lie to each other. And here's what it sounds like. Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. No, we're not. We're not fine. Everybody, everybody here has something that they are carrying around. A struggle, a challenge, an obstacle in life, uh, emotional uh, emotional damage, you know, that, I mean, just stuff. Right? We're not fine. And Jesus knows it. And He's got the remedy. Put off the sins of the past. The second one, last one, is, is shorter, I promise. We put off the sins of the past. We put on the graces of Christ. Put on the graces of Christ. Look at the great list. Verse 12, So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. That means we are God's own possession. If you belong to Jesus, if you have surrendered to Christ, repented of your sins, received His forgiveness... Believed in Jesus by faith. You're God's own possession. You're holy. You're set apart and consecrated. You're beloved. That means you are loved by God. Since those are the things that describe you, you should, look at verse 12, put on a heart of compassion. Put on kindness. Put on humility and gentleness and patience kind of sounds like Galatians 5 the fruit of the Spirit right almost sounds like the exact list Paul was inspired to write that too and, and just, just go on through these verses verse 12 now verse 13 bearing with one another forgiving each other anybody in here does not need forgiveness I think that category is empty Everybody needs forgiveness. And so the Bible says in verse 13, everyone, believers are to keep on forgiving everyone. It's part of the action of, of putting on these Christian traits, all those uh, listed in, in verse 12. A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. But look at verse 14. This is the capstone of the Christian wardrobe. Love. Love. And that word is agape love. It's not one of the other words for love. It's that one which means unselfish, self-sacrificing, unconditional love. That's the, the most important it's the uniting bond of perfection in verse 14. It binds everything together. Verse 15, the peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it rule. Let it continue to rule. This peace comes from salvation in Christ. We are called into one body, the body of Christ. And at the end of verse 15, be thankful 
And that's a present tense. So it means continually be thankful. Keep on being thankful. When's the last time we just kind of stopped in the middle of the day and realized everything we have going for us and just said, thank you, God. Thank you. You've been so good. I've been through this or this or this, but I've got so much to be thankful for. If God didn't do another thing for me, whatever time I have left on earth is not long enough to be thankful for what He's already done. Be thankful. Continually be thankful. Verse 16. And this, this is the, the source of these things here that feed our relationship or fuel our relationship with Christ. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. This is a command. This is a command for this Word to richly dwell. You know what the, the literal translation is? To be at home. Let the Word be at home in you. Let God's Word find its home continually in you. The Word of Christ, the Gospel, the truth of Jesus. And then that will enable us with all wisdom to teach and admonish with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. This is like... Anything you can imagine, any, any spiritual uh, song that is truly Christian or biblical in its message and purpose, singing with grace and thankfulness in our hearts. And, and if those things aren't there, then it makes you wonder, am I really truly worshiping if I don't have that gratitude in my heart for Christ? But that comes from verse 16, that Word of Christ dwelling richly within us, making, making its home within us. So all this ties together. We put off some things because they're in the past. We put on some things that are in the present that are uh, based on our relationship with Jesus. But then look at verse 17, the ending. Whatever you do, in word or deed, whatever you do, that covers everything. Nothing is left out. The sum of the Christian life. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, let me just try to explain what that means. It said, in word or deed, whatever you do, do it all. So, that is all-inclusive. Everything we... Oh, this is so hard. Everything we say. Everything we say. How are we going to do that? I know, I know this is worn out as an illustration. I know it. But when the next person that cuts me off going down the interstate, everything I say, everything I do, you know how difficult this is? Think about how difficult it would be if you, didn't, if you didn't follow Jesus and His Word. 
Everything. Whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you say, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means Jesus should be able to sign off, approve everything we say or do. Yeah. Why do you think every believer has a deposit of the Holy Spirit of God guaranteeing our inheritance? Why do you think we have that? The Holy Spirit. We can't even get close to doing this stuff without the Holy Spirit. We certainly can't do it in our own strength. This is why we are so dependent on Jesus. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and what's our attitude? Giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Giving thanks. He's the one who enables us to do whatever we do. And if this is the standard, whatever you do, doesn't matter word or deed, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Think about, oh my goodness, I just, I can't, I just can't imagine the difficulty here. Jesus is in the truck with me. Jesus is walking down the, the road with me. He's, he's there not just to keep my conviction at a good level. He's there to help. Remember? His, his eyes go to and fro over the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those who are completely His. Let me, let me close. We've got to change. We've got to change our clothes. We've got to put off the old self. Put on the new self. That's, that's a process of sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus. I'll, just, uh, I'll end with this great quote. The old Puritan preacher, John Owen. He said, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. There's no other way. It's a work of the Holy Spirit of God, but we do have to cooperate. We have to cooperate. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.